0: Welcome to the podcast for Centerpoint Church. Located in the heart of Concord, New Hampshire, Centerpoint is all about living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus. The message today is a part of that journey, and we are glad to have you join us. All right, good morning. Wow, what a song. Whew. All right, we're going to speak the name of Jesus this morning? Amen. All right, excellent, excellent, excellent. So before we dive into this morning's passage, I want to give you guys a, a brief update on our Mexico team. So they they left kind of late uh, Friday night into early Saturday morning, we're talking like 2, 3 a.m., and they had a full travel day yesterday, uh, but got a good report that they are settled in, they're with the bolts, and they're ready to go. So this morning, they're actually going to be worshiping uh, with the church that... Uh, is right there on Play Bible Seminary's campus uh, with the Bolts, and they're going to have an awesome time this morning. And then they are gearing up for a full week of work. So be praying for them this week. We'll be sending out maybe one or two updates throughout the week just to let you guys know what's going on and let you know how you can be praying for them. So before we jump in, I would like to invite us to pray together for our Mexico team and for us this morning. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for bringing the team safely to Mexico. We thank you for the Bolts and their hospitality. We ask that by your spirit, you would go before the team, that you would make a way that your name, Jesus, would be greatly exalted through all that they say and all that they do. Would you form them together as a team to be a cohesive, unified unit who makes you known individually and as a team collectively wherever they go. And then for us here this morning, God, we ask that you would help us to be aware and attentive of your presence and your nearness, that for those of us here today who have trusted in the powerful name of Jesus and received salvation by grace through faith alone, that your spirit dwells in us, and we ask that you would make us aware of what it is that he wants to say to us this morning. Not just us as individuals, but us as a body. And finally, God, I ask that all that I say and how I communicate this morning uh, would be an exercise in love, in love for you, in love for this beautiful congregation, God, that uh, you are continuing to knit together. So may we be a people who exalts your name this morning. In Jesus, it's in your name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. amen, amen and amen. All right, so first question for you is this. I know we've got Baptist roots here, so I'm not trying to offend anybody, but are you ready to dance this morning? Yeah. You ready to dance with me? Okay, so, here, so here's what I mean is, we've been getting into this routine, and I love watching how you have been engaging it. It brings me such joy, where whether it's Pastor Matt or myself, we'll, we'll read a passage and then we'll ask you to share your observations. So I want to take that and tweak that dial just a touch this morning and try something a little different. So I'm going to ask a few questions kind of along our journey, so I will cue them up so you know, like, I think Joe wants me to say something now. So I will let you know. So we'll do a few of those kind of along the journey. And I want you guys to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 11, and we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 30 today. For those of you who were here last week, you recall as you're turning there, I'm going to give you a brief recap of last week. If you were here last week, we looked at at this passage um, in the previous chapter where Peter, has this vision, and he's invited by the Lord, he's prompted by the Lord to go to Cornelius, who was a God-fearing Gentile, meaning a non-Jewish person. And so Peter is obedient, and he goes, and he shares, and the Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius and all of his household. And Peter and the Jewish believers who were with him, they're blown away by this, and they say, Whoa! Even, Even for the Gentiles, God is pouring out his Spirit. And so what Dr. Luke, who wrote the scroll of Acts, what he wants us to see this morning is that, oh, you thought that was cool. Watch until we read this morning, because we're not just going to look at one Gentile and his whole household. Now we're going to look at a whole ecclesia that means the called out ones, that's the English, uh, the Greek word translated in English as church. We're going to look at a whole church of Jews and Gentiles, and we're going to see why that is a really big deal here in the book of Acts. So Acts 11, starting in verse 19, says this. Those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done... During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. They did this, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Amen and amen. Now there's a lot that's happening in this passage. So we're gonna scratch the surface this morning and we're gonna jump in some touch points and so as you, if you like to take notes, you're taking mental notes, jot some different uh, ideas down here and then as the Spirit leads this week, you can take those notes and reflect on them and come back in because there's just so much that we're not even able to get to today. First thing I want to see, and this is my first cue for interaction, okay? So this is my first interactive question. Uh, Notice... In verse 22, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now, from this passage, so you could go ahead and look down at your Bibles or at your your phone if you've got it on there. Uh, From this passage, what does Dr. Luke want us to know about Barnabas? He has some very specific things to say about Barnabas. What, What do you see? Particularly verse... Just shout it out. He was full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Yep. What else? He was a good man. Yeah, that's so interesting. He was a good man. So Luke only uses that phrase one other time in Luke and Acts. So he's responsible for like the gospel according to Luke and the, the scroll of Acts. And he only uses that word one other time. And it's of Joseph of Arimathea who helps to bury Jesus' body. That's yeah, really good observation. What else do we see about Barnabas here? Yeah, he was an encourager. Steve, way to go. Because that actually links us backwards to chapter four, where we first learn about Barnabas, right? And if you remember that back in Acts chapter four, it highlights at the very end of the chapter that there was a man named Barnabas. His name was actually, his given name was actually my name, Joseph. So shout out to the Joes in the room. It's a great name. So his name was Joseph, and he was from Cyprus, so just file these things away, and the apostles gave him the nickname Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Barnabas, son of encouragement. So yeah, so Steve, he is an encourager. Like so much so that he gets this nickname from the people in the highest positions of authority within the early church, the apostles. So yeah, great observation. What what else do we know about Barnabas? And so we can even broaden uh, our our thinking f- back to Acts chapter four and then Acts chapter nine where he shows up again, uh, where he's with Saul. The first time, kind of Saul comes to know Jesus. What what else does anybody have? Anything else to share about Barnabas? He's glad. He's glad. <laughs> Yeah, thank you, Patty. So Patty said that Barnabas's response here in this passage was that he was glad. Like it says he was glad. He rejoiced. He was praising God because of what he saw God doing. It's really good. Yeah, so this is just keeping it with who we know him to be, right? And we don't have time to go here now, but you can just jot down kind of in your notes, Acts chapter nine. We looked at that several weeks ago, and that walks us through the conversion of Saul, who would go on to become Paul, right? And if you remember, after Saul comes to know Jesus, the early church, the early Christians, they're like, ah, is this real? Or is this just another ploy to try to weasel his way in and arrest more of us and throw more of us in prison, right? And so he shows up in Jerusalem, and no one wants to even go near him, And what what Luke records for us in Acts chapter nine is that it's Barnabas. Barnabas is the one who draws near to Saul and he goes, no, this is legit. This is 100% genuine that the spirit of Jesus has transformed this man who was terrorizing the church. And so Barnabas is the one who brings Saul before the apostles and says, you need to pay attention. Jesus is at work right here. And so we, we learn that Barnabas is a peacemaker. Notice, he's not a peacekeeper. He, he's not operating in passivity. Just If we just make sure that everybody's calm and then everything's okay. No, he's a peacemaker. There's a tense situation and Barnabas takes a step towards it. And in relationship, he's going, this is genuine. What the spirit of God is doing right here. In the, in the apostle Paul. And so here we even see it in verse 26 where he now does the same thing. So we're talking about in Acts chapter 9 where Saul, Barnabas brings Saul before the apostles. That was about seven to eight years before this passage here in Acts chapter 11. And here goes Barnabas again. This time he shows up in Antioch. He's praising God for what happened. And then it says in verse 25, he went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Isn't that interesting? Because at the end of Acts chapter 9, the early church had to send Saul back to his hometown because the Jews in Jerusalem were trying to kill Saul. Because he was proclaiming the name of Jesus. He was speaking the name of Jesus. And so Barnabas goes, oh, that's right, that's where he's at. I'm going to go find him. So Barnabas isn't only a peacemaker, but he also is a teacher. It tells us right here in verse 26 that Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Like, this, this guy has an eye for seeing what God is up to in ways that maybe other people weren't able to see. We might not have the Apostle Paul if it wasn't for Barnabas. Like, think about that. That's how important Barnabas' role is here. And he goes on, as we'll see in a few weeks in Acts chapter 13, Barnabas and Saul are sent by Antioch on Paul's first missionary journey. So Antioch becomes their sending church and sends them both into the known world to speak and proclaim the good news that Jesus is king. Like this is who Barnabas is. This is a big deal. What it invites us into, what it invites me into and you into and us as a body into is Do we have eyes to see? Do we have eyes to see and hearts that are open and pliable and moldable to see how God might be at work in our city and in our communities and in our neighborhoods and in the lives of people right around us in ways that we might see something happening and wanna take a step back, but to follow Barnabas is able to take a step forward and take a step into as that peacemaker. I go, no, I see him. I see the spirit of God at work here. This is crucial. This is vital. And notice, it says that the apostles sent Barnabas. Like, they hear about this Jew and Gentile church, and they send Barnabas. Remember, he was from Cyprus. So if we can, if we can bring the map up, I want to show you guys something here for maybe about 30 seconds. Um, so on kind of the right-hand side, um, you see that little island, Cyprus, So that's where Barnabas was from. And then you see how there's the little arm jutting out from Cyprus, and it's like a finger, and it's pointing right at Antioch. See that? Right? So there was some strategy here from the apostles. They're sending Barnabas, not only because they trust him, not only because he's a key player, but also because he likely had a very good understanding of the culture of Antioch because he was from Cyprus because Antioch was a big deal. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It was very cosmopolitan, very diverse in every way that you can imagine. And so they're very strategic in sending Barnabas. Thank you for bringing that map up. I appreciate that. Um, and so I just wanted to show you guys to give you an idea of why this is important that the apostles are sending Barnabas. is very strategic. Now... Patty, you had highlighted this for us when you said that when Barnabas showed up on the scene, he was glad, right? He praised God. Now, if you look at that verse, verse 23, it says, when he, that's Barnabas, arrived, and this phrase is so interesting. Listen to this phrase. He saw what the grace of God had done. He saw what the grace of God had done. So here's my next question. I'm teeing you guys up. Let's, in the spirit, let's speculate together here. What might be some aspects of the grace of God that Barnabas saw in tangible action before him in the church of Antioch? Why is he praising God? Why does Luke use this phrase, the grace of God that Barnabas had seen? What, what might he have seen happening before him that makes him go, yes, this is the thing. New believers, absolutely. Baptisms, new believers, right? Verse 26, we already looked at this. Barnabas and Saul are teaching great numbers of people. Uh, verse 21 and verse 24, a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Awesome observation, yes. healing Healings are happening, of course. Healing. Yeah, right, because where the kingdom of God goes forth, yeah. there's healing in the name of Jesus. Right? We just saying about this, right? Excellent. What What else? Being outside of the, the boundaries of um, heritage. Yes. Okay, so gold stars for everybody, but Todd, circle gets the square here. <laughs> Thank you. It was like I planted you there. I didn't plant Todd, people, by the way. He's not planted. Thank you, Todd. Yes. All of these things are true. All of these things are why Barnabas comes to this church in Antioch, and I could just... Joe's musings, imagine Barnabas going, yes, 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 yes. This is the thing. This is the thing that Jesus wants to do. This is part of the good news, the gospel of Jesus. Circle gets the to square, Todd. You are exactly right. Why? Because this happening here, this church in Antioch made of Jewish believers and non-Jewish believers, the Gentiles, this is a huge, huge deal that's very, very easily missed in our culture today. Huge deal. Now, do you remember last week, I alluded to this earlier, last week, we looked at Peter entering into Cornelius' house. And Pastor Matt drew this, this observation out that was an important one for us. He said there was no laws in Torah, what we call the Old Testament law, that would have prevented a Jewish person from eating with the Gentile, but what what did it was the law, the food laws of what Jewish people could and could not eat that would make them separate and distinct and marked as God's people. And so later in the story of the Bible, all of these fence laws had been developed by the leaders in the nation of Israel to ensure that the people wouldn't break the laws laid out in Torah. Does that make sense? Are you with me on that? That's really important. So, it says in chapter 11, before the passage that we're looking at now, that Peter goes back to Jerusalem, and he explains what happened, and it says, this is so interesting, um, it says verse 2 of chapter 11, when Peter went to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, you went into the house of an uncircumcised man and ate with him? Are you kidding me? What are you doing? You've lost your mind. So then he proceeds to tell the whole story of what happened, and then look, it says, it says in verse 18 of chapter eleven, when they heard this, the people who were criticizing Peter harshly, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then even to Gentiles God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is a huge deal. Huge deal. So when Barnabas bursts onto the scene in Antioch, he is elated. At what is happening before his eyes. Now, he and Paul were gifted teachers. They taught here in verse 26 for about a year in Antioch, and as we trace their actions throughout Antioch, throughout the book of Acts, they do significant amounts of teaching at the church of Antioch. And so, I imagine that eventually those in Antioch particularly the Gentiles who maybe weren't raised on the Jewish scriptures, what we call today the Old Testament, they were teaching them the story. The story. See, this is a story rooted and grounded in history, absolutely. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, 100%. But This is a story, a recounting of history of humanity. And so Paul and Barnabas would have taught them the story. So if we can put up on on the screen the big story slide, I'm going to walk through this with you. And here's why we're going to walk through this. Because I think this helps us to get a little bit of a grasp on why Barnabas is so elated in this passage and why he's going, yes, yes, hold firm, hold firm, believers in Antioch. And him and Paul would have taught this story. So Genesis 1 and 2 Help me out here. God does what? Yeah, that's right. I gave it away. It's on the screen. (laughs) Well done. Well done. Well done. So he creates, right? He creates everything. He creates then the animals out of the the dirt of the ground. And then he, he creates the last of his creations, humanity, Adam, right? And he creates him from the dirt of the ground too. But something's different here about Adam. It's that God breathes his breath of life into Adam, making he and Eve his image. In the image of God, they were made male and female. He made them to be his image, to be his reflections, to be his mirrors, and he gave them this commission. He said, I want you to rule and reign and have dominion over all the earth, to take Eden, this beautiful place of abundance and goodness, and I want you to work with me and walk with me and take Eden and extend it into the world. My Eden blessing is to go out into the world. You are to be fruitful and multiply. Make more images to rule and reign over creation as you do it with me. This is why the invitation was for them to walk in the cool of the day with the spirit of the Lord like innocent children walking with their father who is going to teach them the way of wisdom. And it only lasted for how many chapters? Help me out. Yeah, right? Two chapters. We get to chapter three, and the wagon wheels fall off. They're tempted by more than just a snake. This can be ridiculous to a modern reader, like a talking snake, seriously. But when you're reading the story, he's more than a snake. He's a spiritual being, the arch enemy of God, and he tempts Adam and Eve, right? And they give in to that temptation. And rather than walking with God in the cool of the day and attaining wisdom in relationship with him, they see that this fruit is pleasing to the eye and it's good for knowing wisdom. Interesting. They take it and they eat of it and now they're naked and now they're ashamed. And now they're at odds with each other and now they're hiding from God. And so what was this beautiful overlap of heaven, God's space, and earth, the space that he made for humanity, this beautiful overlap where God would walk with his people, was now split in this moment. Because humanity wants to exercise wisdom on their own terms, and we've been doing it ever since. I mean, this will preach. All you got to do is look at the news headlines. This will preach. All we have to do is pay attention to things happening to us interpersonally in our lives. This will preach. How many times do you exercise wisdom on your own terms? You are a lot more saintly than me. I'll just speak for me. I exercise wisdom sometimes too many times on my own terms. It doesn't work out well. I'm learning to walk with my heavenly Father who gives me wisdom. And this overlap of heaven and earth is split here at the fall. Sin enters in, separating Humanity from God, humanity from one another, and humanity from creation itself. The rest of the story of the Bible is just one giant family feud. One giant family feud. We, God's children, hightailing it away from God, and we, as God's children, being made in his image, turning around and waging war and violence and death upon each other like literally, but also metaphorically, with our words and our actions and our deeds. You with me? One giant family feud. (laughs) So then, the road of redemption. In Genesis chapter 12, there's a man named Abraham. God says, I'm going to take that one, and out of the many, I'm going to take that one in his family, and they're going to be a blessing for the many. I'm going to bless them, and through this family, the whole world's going to be blessed. This links us in with, Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve, they ate of the fruit. And when God is speaking, cursing down on the serpent and cursing down on the ground, just go read it yourself. He doesn't curse humanity. He curses the ground and he curses the serpent. And when he curses the serpent, he says, hey, pay attention. One day there's going to be an offspring of this woman who's going to come and he's going to crush your head. And that's, that promise just keeps going, the red thread through the whole Old Testament story. And then we get to Abraham in Genesis 12, and God says, yep, it's going to be through his family. Not because anything good that he did. I'm choosing him as the vehicle for my blessing. Out of Abraham comes the nation of Israel. God says, it's through this people. These are my royal priests. These are my garden tenders and keepers. These People are going to be the light to the nations around them. These people, I'm going to baptize them through the Exodus as they take them out of Egypt through the Red Sea. They're going to be my new humanity, my new people. And it's through them that that promised one will come. Unfortunately, Israel, because they didn't have God's law written on their hearts through the Spirit of God, they failed miserably. They wanted to be just like all the other nations and people around them. So they end up waging war and violence on one another. One massive family feud. Massive family feud. And what was meant for them to be a people who were a light to the nations to say, come and see, come and see Yahweh, the creator of all things, and worship him. Instead, they used it to be exclusionary, to define the nations around them as the enemy, the ones to be kept at bay, or the ones to be victorious over, the ones to keep out, rather than the ones that God wanted to bring in, which is so replete throughout the Old Testament story. God's vision from the beginning was one massive global family. And even his people in Israel say, no no thanks. And they miss it. They miss what God wanted to do. They totally miss it. The Old Testament is also filled with stories of non Jewish people getting it right, exercising faith in ways that the Jewish people couldn't do, wouldn't do, chose not to do. You see, they thought that they were the ones. Well, keep them at arm's length. We're not a place for the nations. And what they missed. Was that even at the end of Genesis, before we have the 12 tribes in the book of Exodus, at the end of Genesis, Jacob looks at Joseph's children, his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who are half Jewish, half Egyptian, so half Jewish, half Gentile, and he adopts them into the family. And when we turn to the book of Exodus, there are the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. So from its inception, the nation of Israel was multi-ethnic. They missed it. They missed missed what God wanted to do. This is why when Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, he's he's in Nazareth, his hometown, and he's preaching, and he says, oh, you you have such little faith. Don't, Don't you know the story? Don't you know that the prophet Elijah there were all these widows in the land of Israel, but the prophet Elijah was sent to a non-Jewish widow in the land of Zarephath, and that's actually the first resurrection in the Bible? Is Elijah raising her son from the dead? Don't you know that there were many who needed healing in Israel, but Yahweh chose to heal Naaman, the chief commander of the army of Syria? <laughs> what? What? And what do they do with Jesus? They take him out to throw him off a cliff. Because ever since the fall, our posture as the human heart left unto itself is to set up walls, protect ourselves and our family, make sure everybody else stays away. Because resources are limited, we've gotta keep them for us and for no one else. And so when Barnabas comes on the scene here, And he's going, this is the thing. Are you starting to see why he's going, this is the thing. This is the global family that God had envisioned from the beginning. And it's unfolding right before our eyes. Oh, it's beautiful. This is why when we get to redemption, the story of the cross, King Jesus killed by his own people who know nothing other than violence through his death, he goes into death and rips it out from the inside out and comes out on the other side saying, I'm alive. If you want to find life, you come to me. You follow me, you'll know me now, and you'll know me forever in eternity. You walk with me now, you'll walk with me forever with the saints in eternity. This is why the apostle Paul, who's back in our passage here, and he's teaching with Barnabas the Gentiles and Jewish people in Antioch. This is why the Apostle Paul, if you read his letters carefully, almost every single letter, he has a lot to say about this issue of Jews and Gentiles becoming one in Jesus. So let's just take one example. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians chapter 1 In verses 9 and 10, he gives us his thesis statement. So, this is his summary of what he's going to tell the Ephesians. He, that is God, he made known to us the mystery. This is pos- it's a little confusing. Better translation is open secret, meaning it was something that was veiled and now it's known in Paul's day, and Paul is a herald of what was once concealed but now revealed. He says, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to put into effect what the time, when the times reach their fulfillment, watch this, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth together under Christ. This is the gospel, by the way. The gospel is cosmic. King Jesus is king over everything. Reuniting what was separated at the fall, reuniting heaven and earth, And he goes on to continue. He says in chapter two, starting in verse 14, for he, that's Jesus, himself is our peace who made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, which he put to death through their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, peace to those who were near. For through him we have access to the Father by one spirit. You're no longer foreigners, you're no longer strangers, but you're citizens with God's people and members in his household. You're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Messiah Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Watch this, verse 21. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you all too are being dwelt together, becoming a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Oh man. Woo! Wow! Friends, the implications of this are massive. The spirit of God dwells in us who have pledged allegiance to King Jesus by receiving salvation by grace through faith. We all, his people, we all, his people, are to be a communal and personal reflection of God's inbreaking, transformational, bondage-breaking, captive-freeing kingdom right here, right now. We are his temple. So when Barnabas comes onto this scene, oh, is he excited. (laughs) See, because in Antioch, it was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It was wonderfully diverse. But in the Roman Empire, very few people had positions of power Into the Roman Empire, you did not intersect with people in other social statuses than you. You would never do this. You would never do this. So not only do we have Jewish people who would have never engaged Gentile believers happening in Antioch, you would have never had those in higher positions of power mingling and interconnecting and serving those in lower positions of power across the board socioeconomically, the level of education, their ethnicity and cultural boundaries, all of these, all of these are broken down in Jesus. All of them are broken down in Jesus. This is why Paul goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, the mystery this mystery is that through the gospel, the good news, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promises of Messiah Jesus. Jump down verse 10. His intent was that now through the church, through the church, this is so amazing, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in messiah jesus our lord in him and through faith in him when they approach god with freedom and confidence yo know, that means that means that what happens here at center point church with the gathering and the fellowship of the believers what happens here isn't just for the good of this city isn't just for the good of our communities, isn't just for the good of our neighborhoods and our families and ourselves. It's making Jesus' manifold wisdom known to the powers and principalities in heavenly places. What? (laughs) Yeah. This is why Barnabas is going, yes, 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 yes look at this. This community represents all of the dividing walls that humanity in its family feud has set up against each other to keep each other out. And Jesus just goes, nope, blows them all away. And he says, it's through all of you, yes, individually, but all of y'all communally, that all of y'all are a witness to the city of Antioch because people should walk into that community and be scratching their heads. Why do these younger people hang out with these older people? That's a person who is struggling financially, hanging out with one of the wealthiest people in the community, and the wealthiest person in the community is serving them? But this makes no sense. This is a community marked by love and self-sacrifice and service and taking their preferences and laying them low to uphold and uplift those of others around them? Like this makes no sense. Now, you could say, well, Joe, we're talking about Antioch 2,000 years ago. Does this have any relevancy for today? Help me out. (laughs) There we go. Why? Because friends, if we just have a pulse on what's happening in our culture, right? If we just have a pulse on it, the ambient anxiety and the, and the, the fear that's being stoked and the increasing polarization where people are pledging their allegiance to things other than Jesus, he, he has, Jesus has something to say to the powers and principalities and to the world through y'all here, in this this space, through us, his temple, his dwelling space. This is amazing. And then to round the the slide out, um, the very end of the biblical story, thank you, the very end of the biblical story, Jesus returns, renews all things, new heaven, new earth, and the saints of God, Revelation 22, 5 says, they, that is the saints of God, God himself and the Lamb, they all will reign forever and ever on the new heavens and new earth. So we're not talking about some disembodied, ethereal afterlife, where we just are on clouds playing harps. We're talking about culture and work and vocation and taking Eden and extending it into the world in a way where there's the healing of the nations now in the presence of the Lamb. Like, this has so many implications for today. We don't have time to... Scratch. I told you we weren't gonna have time to scratch the surface this is big. This is robust. And to boot, back in Acts chapter 11, Luke is very, uh, very astute. He says at the end of verse 26, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. They had this story in mind. They're living this out. The dividing walls have been broken down. They're embracing each other in ways that make no sense to their very polarized divided culture. And he says, oh, they were called Christians. Now, Antioch was known for coining phrases and names of things. So likely, scholars believe that likely, Christian was a derogatory term. Um, At worst, at best, it was just humorous. So those belonging to the party of Christ is what it means. Christian means those belonging to the party of Christ. Now, where else do we talk about parties? Other than, let's have a birthday party. (laughs) Right? Right? Politics. Yeah. Yeah, now, now think about that. This is really important, so think about that. Very different culture that we're reading about. But really important. Their parties might have been different than what ours are today, but the people in Antioch were looking at the Christians in Antioch and were going, we don't know what other word to use in jest other than <laughs> these idiots belong to the party of Jesus. Wow. Why? Because they were pledging their allegiance to Jesus. Their capital A allegiance was to Jesus. It w- Jesus transforms and Jesus transcends all of our little lowercase a allegiances. Let me say it differently. The ideal is that Jesus transcends and transforms all of our lowercase a allegiances. So you all put up with me. I'm an Eagles fan and I make that known. And this is where you can boo me, yeah, that's fine. I thrive off of your boos. <sighs> they energize me. All right, so that's an example of like, okay, we all have sports teams and we're, you know, we pledge allegiance to them. Like, okay, I'm just giving you a silly example, right? That's pretty benign. We joke about it. Matt and I joke about it. Um, and then I re- remind him that it hurts so good to be an Eagles fan right now. True football fans just got that joke. Way to go. But there's other ways that our allegiances play out that are not just playful. We're like We could touch on so many examples right now, so I'm gonna do the thing that you're not supposed to do at the dinner table and talk about religion and politics. <laughs> We're uncomfortable. But we shouldn't be, because the gospel of Jesus transforms us. And he transforms and transcends our lowercase a allegiances. So, I've shared with you in brief before, uh, I have a decade of ministry experience, two, two churches back in Pennsylvania. Lots of good people. And I, I, miss, I miss some of them so dearly. Just so many good people. Um, walk through me with hard times. But in, the, in, in one of those two spaces, I got to see firsthand what it was like to try to pastor in the midst of polarizing election season. <laughs> yeah. And... One of those two places um, actually had a lot of KKK roots to it. Um, the city was comprised of kind of 50% white, 50% black. History of racial violence in, the, in that space. And uh, I just, I saw, though it was a small group of people within the body, saw a small group of people try to galvanize the church for political advancement. They wanted the church to become the place that put their political perspective forth. And like they were not Jesus-like about it either. <laughs> and they sought to galvanize that. And so it was in the middle of, of all of this that... I just had a conviction that this wasn't the way it was supposed to be. I I didn't really have a lot of answers. I just knew that something was off. Something was a a miss here. And what made me so sad was to see, again, it's a very small group. It's not representative of that church, but a small group of people participate in January 6th. They participate in a violent insurrection. And they wave Jesus flags, and they say that this is what Jesus wants, when we, well, watch this, I think this is really, really important for us and I'm trying, I'm trying to learn this myself. I don't speak as somebody who has this all figured out. But when, when our view of the gospel of Jesus is simply something like this, people bad, God mad, Jesus rad, heaven makes us glad and hell makes us sad. Like if that's, if that's all the gospel is, the gospel doesn't answer a whole lot for me in my life right now until I go to meet Jesus. The problem is that the gospel here, the gospel here, the gospel here, this gospel is cosmic. This gospel has so many things to say to this cultural moment. But the problem for us can often be, the problem for me can sometimes be that I don't have eyes to see, and I don't have ears to hear because my lowercase a allegiances are so much louder and they so tap into my fear and they so tap into my anger. And when that happens, our lowercase a allegiances, they can become idols. And the scariest part is when they become idols that are advanced in the name of Jesus but don't have anything to do with Jesus how it absolutely shatters and shreds our witness to our communities the very communities that Jesus said join me in prayer join me in praying that the father's will would come and his kingdom would come and his will would be done right here in these spaces through y'all his temple in nonviolent peace making jesus loving self sacrificing lay my life down waste like this is the <laughs> this is the gospel And the Spirit, friends, the Spirit's in us, so we can do this, because He is in us. This is the invitation. So these lowercase a allegiances, like politics, they can run amok, they can hijack our capital A allegiance and flip it around upside down, before we know it, we're down wormholes that are so nothing to do with Jesus. And then I saw the the racial tension in that city, and I'm not trying to virtue signal, for those of you who know what that means, like this is not, I'm not, I don't share this stuff often because I don't want to come across that way, but I was invited by the Black Ministers Association of that city to actually join their association. One of our other pastors was on there too. And I'm telling you, friends, those conversations that I was privileged to have with them, like it's just so unhelpful. It's so unhelpful when we, when we invalidate someone else's experiences, yeah, it's not real. Because what, what we're doing, even well-intended, is we're allowing our lowercase a allegiances to hijack our allegiance to Jesus and the gospel. At the heart of the gospel is the reconciliation of the nations. And for those of, of you who are like me, we're, we're of, of a lighter hue, Like I said, when we invalidate those experiences, so I'm not even saying like we're overt in suppressing those people, but when we just act like, yeah, it's not real. Or even worse, because of our lowercase a allegiance, we go, yeah, you know, it's not only not real, but you really need to just shut up about it because your politics are driving you trying to talk about it. Well, we don't realize it's our politics driving us to tell them to not talk about it. Why? Because this is a gospel issue that the church in Antioch was shattering and breaking down because they recognized that those dividing walls that we erect between us for all different reasons were torn down by Jesus. This is why Paul can say to the, to the church in Rome, he says, look, this issue was is the same there. Jew and Gentile at odds with each other for reasons we don't have time to get into. And in chapter 15, he says, look, you all of higher social status, here's what I want you to do. I want you to serve those of lower social status. I want you to pull down your preferences and I want you to lift theirs up. Because why? Because that's what shows the gospel to our communities. That's what shows the gospel to our nation. Are there political implications to these things? Of course there are. But friends, the first politics should be right here in this body. We are a separate politic, a separate people. We are the ones who should be modeling spaces of reconciliation, saying no to injustices. This is what the people of God, I'm not saying this stuff driven by politic. I'm saying this stuff because the good news of scripture, the good news of Jesus is working on me in ways that make me really uncomfortable and challenge me. But we don't have time to do anything other than that. Time is of the essence gospel witnesses needed. And I don't know about you, but I want to be like, I want to be part of a church that's like the church in Antioch. You want to be a part of a church like that? We see these walls broken down by Jesus, and we actually say, yep, I'm going to step into those spaces. We see the injustices, we says, yep, I'm going to step into those spaces. So I love, I love this church because you guys are a generous bunch. You give and you give and you are so generous and you ought to be commended for it. And I love, Jess highlighted City Hope for us earlier, I love how we're serving people who are in financial vulnerabilities right here in this city. We are a light in this city. May we also be a light in this city for other reasons as well as we learn the cosmic gospel and its implications for us as individuals and for us as a body. And I want to round this out. Look at All of the beautiful feet at work in this passage. All of the beautiful feet. Barnabas is at work. His beautiful feet. Who else's feet do you see in this passage in Acts? Saul's beautiful feet are at work. Yep, God, of course, he's at work, right? Who else? Yeah, the disciples of Antioch right at the end of the passage. There's, they're brimming with generosity. And they're sending with Saul and Barnabas this financial gift because of what some prophet stood up and said would happen, which historically actually happened. So you've got the beautiful feet of Agabus. You've got the beautiful feet of the prophets. You've got the beautiful feet of the disciples who are giving generously. You've got the beautiful feet early on in the passage. These, we don't even know their names. Verse 20, these men from Cyprus and Cyrene who go to Antioch and start preaching the good news of the Lord Jesus to Gentiles. So what are our takeaways from today? What are our takeaways from today? Like Barnabas, may you see God's grace and join him. Like those in Antioch, might you examine, and I examine our lowercase a allegiances and see areas where they maybe don't line up with the gospel, where they're actually hijacking our picture of the gospel. And thirdly, like the disciples of Antioch, be an active family member. Like this only happens when we all engage it together. You've got gifts and talents and abilities And Jesus is for you, he's in you, he's with you, and he's placed you in a community. And we get to do this together. It's our individual gospel witness and our beautiful feet, but it's our collective gospel witness and our beautiful feet that will make a difference in this city and in these communities because of Jesus. So may we be a church that is that kind of a gospel witness, even more so than we already are. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this this word, thank you for this passage. God, thank you for the way that you challenge us. And I, I ask that you would challenge us. I ask that you would strengthen us and commend us in ways that you see us succeeding and doing well and embracing maturity, and that out of your love, you would correct us in ways that we're off track, in ways that we're not aligned personally and even as a body, God, that we might be servants of the name of Jesus, that this community would know us as Christians, those who belong to the party of Jesus that through us and in us, that your name would be greatly exalted and greatly glorified. We pray these things, Jesus, in your name and all God's people said. Amen. 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 Would you stand with me? Friends, if you're here this morning and you hear all this, you go, I don't even, we talked a lot, I'm really lost, I don't even know who Jesus is. We'd love to have a conversation with you so our prayer team will be available up here. If you are feeling moved in your heart, you're like, I... Like, I kind of knew about Jesus, but like, this Jesus sounds really awesome and I kind of want to follow him and what do I do to do that? Come talk to our prayer team. They'd love to have a conversation with you. So friends, this week as we go, as we go, may we, with sober examination, led by the Holy Spirit, explore our allegiances. May we see the grace of God around us and join him at work. And may we be active family members that together, we at Centerpoint Church are a great Jesus witness here in our community. Blessings to you as you go. Take a little bit to stop and reflect on what God might be saying to you and how you'll respond to him today. Wherever you are on your journey of faith, we are here to serve you. Find us at centerpointnh.org and join us on the journey of living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus.